0: Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health.
1: We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause.
0: That's why we create Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the
1: burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves.
0: So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Welcome back to Unprocessed Guys with Grace and Clara in your ears and today we are talking about it all from periods to fertility. Today on the show we discuss what period poverty is and we interview Rochelle who is the founder of Share the Dignity but first I have a confession. I have shamelessly been watching the new Kardashians TV show on Disney+. Plus.
1: I've got to say I've watched it occasionally. Um, I've watched some of the older stuff so you know I, I'm okay. I get, I get it. Yeah, I get it. It's it is great trashy television.
0: It is. I think it's like you either love it or you hate it. It's like Meghan Markle. You love her, you hate her. But in an episode I watched recently, Courtney Kardashian's just gotten married to Travis Barker and she's going through fertility. They're trying to have another baby. And she brought up in one of her interviews, and this resonated with me so much, that she froze her eggs a few years ago. And- I actually
1: remember watching those episodes. Oh, so here we go. I also watch it. Um, <laughs> I I remember her because obviously she was talking about and I think at the time she was not sure I think her and Scott were gonna have another baby. Oh, just crazy stuff, even though they weren't together. They were thinking of having another baby, and I believe, you know, Kim had gone through the egg freezing process. Mm -hmm. So I think
0: they were talking
1: about egg freezing back then.
0: Yeah, so it's like it's come full circle because now she's defrosted the eggs, but they actually didn't survive. I'm sitting there shocked because, for me, I'm 29 years old. I always thought, in the back of my head, I'll freeze my eggs like in the next couple of years, and that'll be my safety net.
1: I, I understand. So I think this is a misnomer going around quite a lot at the moment. And I think I think A, it's a great thing that at 29 you're thinking about your fertility and when you want to have children. I mean, I guess 20, you know, 29 is probably that age. Some people are, you know, thinking about it 25, 29, 30s, early 30s. It gets a bit scary when you're really starting to think about it post 35 um, because mm. that's when they obviously call you <laughs> geriatric pregnancy
0: mm, I hate that term
1: just lovely like I'm just imagining these nannas walking in with walking frames talking about their fertility I get that people want to put off their fertility and I think it's been going on for a really long time that we just think freezing our eggs is a miracle you know, it's a, it's guaranteeing a baby at some stage. Fortunately, it's not the way that it works.
0: I really appreciated in that Kardashian episode that she did say it because it's like, we have to be comfortable with our biological clock, but we also have to forward plan, but not forward plan too much and balance and not stress because that also affects our eggs.
1: (laughs) That's the female and the male sitting back going, eh, it'll happen when it happens. I think it's great that, you know, women now have these options and they can start talking about it. And there's whole different reasons for egg freezing as well. So, you know, medically you could be going through something and they suggest that you freeze your eggs because you might. So, for example, you're undergoing chem- chemotherapy or radiology or and you've got to freeze your eggs so i get that um then there's also as you said you might be in a stage where you're not ready to have um, a child you might even be with your life partner but you might not so a lot of people at 29 30 still haven't found that person that was their life partner that was definitely me i didn't find my life. i didn't find john until i was you know 36 or 37 um and so you know we weren't ready to at 36 37 go Mm. off and have a baby in case we weren't sure if we were going to be together in six months time i think there needs to be greater understanding and education around fertility from an earlier age so a lot of people are like you who go i can freeze my eggs and i'll have a baby at some stage unfortunately what happens is each stage of the process and there's multiple stages of the process when Mm -hmm. you um are going through egg freezing can deteriorate your outcome mm-hmm. so by that i mean the first thing that happens is you obviously you go through a very similar process to IVF. so you go through hormone injections um they bring about you know multiple eggs through a surgery you might end up having multiple rounds of that and that's expensive as well so you know you want Uh, as many eggs as you can to freeze to give you a better outcome. And some people don't always, you know, they think the younger they go in, they're going to come out with, you know, 30 odd eggs or you might, and you might not. So that's a risk. Then the next stage is obviously when you go to have, you go to use your eggs, then you can go and defrost the eggs. Now, again, depending on when you've actually had this um, when you've frozen your eggs, you might have a good number of eggs to begin with, and you might not have a good number of eggs. Some of them might not last the defrosting process. They always say that it's better to freeze an embryo, for example, over an egg, but that's quite contentious because a, what if you're single? Um, you've got a yeah. So, so they really advise anyone over the age of thirty-five to freeze an embryo versus an egg so that means that it has already been fertilized and it has obviously with the sperm now that sperm if you're single might need to be from a sperm donor or you would need to find that i guess solution and then what happens if you do find a partner that you want to use the eggs with so that's quite contentious if you're single you might want to just freeze your eggs as eggs when they start to defrost you could have some of them drop off the next stage is that when they go to actually fertilize, so they get the sperm and um, marry it to an egg, and now it can be done a few different ways. But, again, not all of those will fertilize. So sometimes you'll go in and say you've got nine eggs. Of those nine eggs, you've got what is called like the five-day wait. So of those nine eggs, over five days, they go through various stages. Um for them to actually become an embryo or an end baby. And at any one of those days, they could actually just drop off and no longer be in the running. So they might not make it to the next stage. So there's so many statistics at play that are going through this, and it's expensive. I think it is something that you need to go into as an informed decision. Now, I don't think freezing eggs by any means is, you know, something that I would discourage. Mm. I just think people need to be informed and realise, you know, what the process is, what the outcomes are, because I think the more informed you are about your own fertility and this kind of journey, the easier it is going to be to make decisions and choices for yourself.
0: Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say... It's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. I am really passionate about our guest today, and that is because she has created an organisation called Share the Dignity. And Share the Dignity, their focus is to end period poverty. And if you haven't heard of period poverty, it's women throughout Australia, throughout the globe that cannot afford sanitary items. Now, this seems absolutely ridiculous to me because 50% of the planet have a period and we deal with it once a month. So why are women going without it? I, I honestly get so frustrated when I hear the stories of women struggling to find tampons and pads, stealing from petrol stations. But
1: they're so expensive, right? You know, I've gone from using pads now to period underwear
0: oh yeah I love period underwear
1: yeah so do I game changing I think I had to buy so say the average period is three to four days say three underwear a day and you want overnight underwear all of that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff I think I was buying like eight to ten pairs of these underwear and at $35 an underwear that's 350 bucks right there a lot of people don't have 350 bucks to spend on underwear straight up
0: absolutely and the women that are dealing with period poverty in low socioeconomic areas or homeless shelters they don't have the money they also may, might not have the facilities to wash their underwear like Having sustainable period products is quite a privilege as well.
1: And really, you know, as
0: you say, tampons and pads, they shouldn't be a privilege. There's also teenage girls that don't have access to sanitary items and because of this they're not going to school and they're missing their education and then they're getting pushed further back. Thankfully, Share the Dignity have created their organisation to help end period poverty and provide sanitary items to women who are going without we asked the founder of Share the Dignity to join us on process today. Rochelle, welcome to the podcast.
2: It's nice to be here. I will share
0: the dignity till the cows come home, as they say. Well, you have two sheroes here that are happy to help your organisation. But let's go back to the beginning. Could you share with our listeners, what was the catalyst that made you start this organisation?
2: Um, look, I first started Share the Dignity when I read an article that talked about the fact that there were 48,000 women Who didn't have somewhere safe to call home Uh, but what I read next completely changed me I read that they were using socks and newspaper and watered up toilet paper to deal with their period and never had I ever thought that this could be a problem in Australia Um, and then I did a bit of a Google search and it wasn't the first article to ever be written on the subject that people were going without the very basic essentials you know back then eight years ago, the name period poverty didn't exist either. That's something that we meshed together and went, you know, let's end period poverty. So um, I just can't believe that anyone could read something like that and just jog on.
1: Absolutely. So what is period poverty?
2: Yeah, period poverty is when somebody is unable to afford access to sanitary items and to be able to deal with their period.
0: So your journey started with donating Sanitary items to homeless shelters. How did you go from that to now building this organisation?
2: Yeah, before Share the Dignity, I was a personal trainer. So I asked all of my clients to bring me a packet of pads or tampons for every wine they had in the month of March two thousand and fifteen. So we collected four hundred and fifty packets of sanitary items that we gave out to five local charities. I live in Sandgate. I've always lived in my um in this area. And we gave them to a domestic violence service, a homelessness service. Um, but it's not like we were giving a warm jacket and it kept her warm for years. It was a monthly blessing to get our periods. And the problem, oh my God, was so much bigger than the 48,000 women that I first read were experiencing homelessness. We had drought-stricken farming communities. We had remote Indigenous communities. There were, the problem just seemed to I just look at it like it was a great big hole in the ground and the hole just just seemed to get bigger and bigger. And the more that we would try to fill it in, it just seemed to get bigger. And so um, it was in the May, literally um, in 2015, that I'd done another post on the Share the Dignity page that my daughter had set up for me on the 1st of March 2015 so that people could hear the stories about where the products had gone and um, the Melbourne comedian M. Rusciano saw it somehow and just went, Oh my God, how does that happen in Australia? Mm. And then that went from a page of about 200 people where I knew everybody to 20,000 people in three days. And people from all over <laughs> Australia were going, How can I help? What can I do? Sharing stories. It was quite incredible. I actually look back at it now and I think I have PTSD because. There were not enough hours in the day to be able to work out how were we going to do it. But I do know that there was this sliding doors moment where um, somebody else had said, oh, this is too big. You just need to stay here in Queensland. Let's just do it here in Queensland. And I just that night before, probably about 10 o'clock at night, um, spoken to a woman who was in Darwin who talked about how um, a woman had, bled across the floor of the petrol station, stolen a packet of pads off the counter, went in the bathroom, was in there for about an hour cleaning herself up again and then left. And she said, what was less dignified, charging her with stealing or making her go without? And at that point, I thought there is no way that any woman should be left behind out of access to sanitary items. So figure it out is what we do. Little did I know to have To be able to collect sanitary items, Mm. did I have to have a board of directors, a constitution, pay fees and permits in every state, insurances? It was bigger than Ben Hur, but I, um, you know, I've always played netball and I just believe that everything that you do in life is about being a part of a team. Mm. And so I just surrounded myself with amazing people who just had skills in areas I didn't have. And I was training clients for the first four years of Share the Dignity and Uh so my first client was 5.30 in the morning and my last client was like, 11:30 and there were hundreds and thousands of messages sometimes of people who wanted to help and how could they donate so you know we were just making it up all we still make it up all the way along. <laughs> and we don't make mistakes, we just learn to do things better.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good lesson in life no matter what really, isn't it?
2: Well, um, no one was going to get hurt. All we were trying to do was do good, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right.
1: So how so how do people go about donating to the organisation?
2: Yeah, so in March and August our collection boxes go out in every Woolworths store around Australia oh, wow. and also hundreds of other um, locations like hairdressing salons, businesses, Google, Amazon, you know, Apple, they're all doing collections for us. Mm. It's not just about the physical donation. It's a lot about the voice and the advocacy that people play a role in. You know, if we think about periods, that that's synonymous with shame and stigma, right? And we are trying mm. to break that down. And getting businesses and corporates to come along on that journey for us Mm -hmm. has been one of the biggest victories for us.
0: But it's not just donations. You actually run a variety of different campaigns throughout the year. Personally, I donate to It's in the Bag every year. The
2: Bag is like my favourite child. It's where we ask everyday Australians to donate a handbag filled with life's essentials. So things like Mm -hmm. shampoo, conditioner, toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, soap, then sanitary items, then anything else that you put into your bag is up to you. So up to your bag size, your imagination and your budget. Mm. So things like I've owned seven million four hundred and twenty-two hair ties in my life but I still don't, f- can't find one. So things like a hair tie, things that you think You would always want, should you have fled domestic violence and you have nothing. So maybe chapsticks, maybe it's hand sanitizer, maybe it's a pair of sunglasses that you loved but you have never worn because they just don't suit you. It's about making somebody else. That's some for most of them. That's the only Christmas gift that they'll get. But it's also giving them the basic of essentials. And I say it's the basic of essentials but it is really the feeling of worthiness and love that we're trying to give in that handbag because I will uh, I can tell you a thousand stories about how the impact of that handbag has had on somebody's heart absolutely yes having access to sanitary items Mm. for them is important and being able to wash their hair after living in their car or not having access to a toothbrush is so very important but just knowing that another sister's got your back for just a small portion of time in your life and that you're worthy is so very important.
0: So how do you distribute the bags? Because when I've donated, I drop them off at my local Bunnings. But once you collect them from there, how do you get them to the women that need them?
2: Yeah, so we ask that people put together a bag, drop it into any Bunnings throughout Australia the last two weeks of November. And then those incredible women, and there's some mighty great men out there who are our heroes and heroes pick them up so if they're picked up in melbourne or uh, give me a give me a location wherever they are they uh, get checked by a volunteer there and then they are given directly to the homelessness shelters to the domestic violence services and to the community services that we work with so they don't actually ever come back to a central location they mm-hmm. stay where they're donated. It's only ever if we have an overflow in that area, which we have not had since COVID hit, um, that we would then get them out to drought-stricken farming areas or remote Indigenous
1: communities. So you mentioned um, since COVID hit. So has there been an increase of need over the last couple of years for your services? A massive increase, so about
2: 30%, but there's also been a 30% decrease in donations. So to give you an idea, in 2019, we collected 140,000 It's In The Bag donations, which is incredible. And our charities were wanting about 150,000. And so we'd never really ever met the the grand need of what was out there. But in 2020, we received uh, 95,000 bags, and the need grew to 165,000. Wow! So you can see that there were for us it was heartbreaking because yeah, all I ever wanted, all we and I say I but. When we don't collect enough, it hurts every single volunteer because we look after our own neck of the wood. We are the legacy that is left behind in whatever suburb it is that they donate. And so not being able to give the bags to every woman spending Christmas in a DV shelter or experiencing homelessness was always our intention. And Mm -hmm. so COVID had a massive impact on us as a charity, but obviously on those in Australia that are doing it tough as well.
1: So you mentioned, obviously, um, the recipients are, you know, women in DV shelters and homelessness. What are some of the circumstances that lead women to obviously end up needing, you know, a bag or needing sanitary items? The
2: stories are very vast and to give you an understanding of the young girl and there are lots of not lots, I would say. There's probably half a dozen stories you'll find on our YouTube um, channel that where we've um, been able to share some of those stories from some of those absolutely brave recipients who've, mm. who've been brave enough to, to, to share with us. But they're vast, you know. Like we do have Kathy that talked about last year being fleeing domestic violence, actually being shot and crawling from her home
0: oh and God. receiving a
2: bag. And in that bag, she talks about the fact that there were two packets of pads and that she didn't need to worry about it for two months. She was so excited that there were two packets of pads in her bag. Um, but she also had a note in her bag that said, you are not alone. That's all it said. And she said she kept it with her through all of her court trials and just kept touching her her chest and saying, I'm not alone, I'm not alone. So that bag for her meant everything, right? And then we have Gabby from Perth who talked about being a young girl who, who was really struggling with mental health issues and was sleeping on the streets in Perth during the day um, and being awake at night and not having, there's just not enough places for these for the youth or for anyone to get whether you're fleeing domestic violence or experiencing homelessness i mean we can't even get accommodation now for people right there's no there's no it's a massive rental crisis so mm-hmm. it just keeps growing and growing and you know the stories are they're vast but you know they're there and we as women just want to support another woman there's no way that we wouldn't want to just give her the very basic essentials or give her a hug i mean the handbags are like a hug in a handbag mm-hmm. right that's yeah. what we would do for anyone who happened to tell us that they didn't have somewhere safe to sleep, or they were fleeing domestic violence and they got they're stuck and they got nowhere to go.
0: So your volunteers are called shiros, which I love. But how do you become a shiro, and what are the responsibilities of a shiro?
2: Well, they wear special angel wings to start with. They're absolutely, incredibly selfless. That's what they are. Um, you can head to our website. Um, our volunteers can do lots of different things. And so there are people, like I met a volunteer yesterday who doesn't have a licence, so she actually can't go out and pick up and do that, but people will bring her bags and they check them. Every single bag that we get donated, we check because the end recipient that we want, we want to make her feel valued and important and loved, and sometimes we will get, and there is, You know i think as the years go on we get less of them but there are bags sometimes that are not worthy of passing on to someone we're making if the Mm. strap has got tears in it or there's half used anything in the bags we'll just remove it and um and fill it up but we also Mm. ask for all of those basic essentials in a bag so shampoo conditioner toothbrush toothpaste deodorant and soap and sanitary items they're the basics that we should all have a human rights to Mm. right so Every single bag we want to contain that. So if a bag has all of that, that's checked, that's perfect, we put it to the side. But if it doesn't, we play a little game of Tetra a little bit later and and work what that is. And that does take time um, mm-hmm. to go through those bags. So we could never have enough volunteers helping us around it's-in-the-bag time. Um, but in our normal March and August drives, um, volunteers will go into a collection point, pick them up count them, bag them and put them into our um, IT system and then that IT system then tells them which charity that they're going to, gives them a Google Maps of where they're going and the contact details and gets them to the charities. That's the my favourite thing to do. So going to the charities and sitting down and talking to them about the incredible work that they do. We are only one piece of the pie that helps them look after the hearts and souls of the women.
1: Incredible. Do you know how long... So a donation from a March or um, for the pads, how long it normally lasts, the charity? I oh, will try not to cry. It doesn't, right? So in our March drive, we
2: collected 122,000 period products, which is incredible, absolutely yeah. incredible. But our charities requested a, a 172,000. So we're not meeting the need and we're not, uh, you know, there's that part of it, but there's also 2,200 remote indigenous communities in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. They don't require, they're not part of that requested numbers. Um, we try to work with how do we get them period products, but also bag donations, because we know we can send a pallet of pads to a remote community. The girls will not come in and get them, but you put the bags on top they will then come and get them because we're removing that shame and stigma and then they will get a bag and then they will fill it with some more products and then they'll go off and they'll be proud as punch as they walk away with their bag. But you just tell them that there's a pallet full of period products there and ain't no one coming running.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, So it's really crucial that you're getting both of those items across to those Indigenous communities. Absolutely. And so, and that was the thing, when before COVID, we were able to
2: take some of those it's in the bag donations where we had overflows, so lots of places in Central CBD in Sydney and um, in Melbourne and Brisbane uh, where we would be able to ship them uh, um, to communities, um, even drought-stricken farming communities, right? They're never going to collect what's needed out there because everyone's doing it tough themselves. That really fell to the wayside. So in 2020 we decided to start Sponsor a Bag and that's where you can donate all year round 5 bucks 50 bucks 5000 bucks and we will put together the bags so on month, on tuesday we had eight burling broncos come in um, broncos football players come in and help. <laughs> I just needed to make sure there was clarity in there for anyone who wanted to follow the footy um, come in and help us pack bags and yeah. um, get pallets ready for remote um, indigenous communities it was fabulous but it is not a female's issue, it's society's yeah. issue, right? If you don't
1: menstruate, you come from somebody who did and that's why you're here. So how can organisations get involved? So obviously we've spoken about the grassroots and the individuals, but how do businesses and organisations get involved to help you guys out?
2: Yeah, there's lots of different ways. I think the reason that the numbers came down during COVID were because no-one was going into the office yeah. and before COVID organisations used to not give Christmas gifts to each other, but they used to buy products and they used to put together bags. And it's a really great team building thing to do. I wish we were clever enough to have known what those numbers were that came from organisations, but we didn't collect data like that, to be honest. And as I've said before, we don't make mistakes. We just learn to do things better. Um, But that definitely fell to the wayside. So what we're asking organisations to do is maybe Every month you're collecting a different item in your office, whether it's shampoo and conditioners one month and toothbrushes another month, and then get together in November and put all of the bags together and get them to Bunnings so that we can actually have an impact um, and make a difference.
1: It's reported that women make the decision between buying food or buying period undies. What action does need to happen as a society to make these products more available?
2: Yeah, look, we would love to see, I mean, To be really honest, Share the Dignity only exists because the government has have never touched period poverty, right? Um, and so for eight years we have advocated so hard to make sure that access to sanitary items are available in Mm -hmm. all schools. That was our first and biggest, well, not it wasn't our first and biggest battle, but it was a start. Removing the GST off sanitary items was a was a big Mm -hmm. ass battle for us. And, you know. I'm so proud to say from the 1st of January 2019, we no longer pay the GST on those luxurious pads and tampons that we so luckily <laughs> get to use. Um, but Barbaric in itself that that was, that was the case, right? Um, mm-hmm. But even, you know, our no girl should ever miss out on a day of education because her mm-hmm. family can't afford access to sanitary items. So I'm pretty proud to say now that every single state in Australia does Um, have access to sanitary items and that's one part what we're looking for is menstrual equity which is about access to sanitary items it's about education and it's about the role that they will play in removing the shame and stigma because until we have that we won't have menstrual equity here in australia and we really want to lead the world on that
0: So 12 months ago, you had a petition circulating called Pad Up Public Health, and I heard stories of patients going without period products in a hospital, which sounds absolutely crazy to me because you're in a hospital. Since that petition happened, have you noticed any shifts in that industry?
2: I was pretty disappointed to see that um, we did a federal petition and we did have uh, um, Labor presented into government um we have not seen anything further federally from to see that access to sanitary items be mandated federally and every time we've asked it's been taken back to each state so we did though apply to have it the funds for it put into the budget and clearly that did not happen um, um from the other night. Uh, so each that means that every state, needs to be contacted and have conversations with, the same as we did with um, schools. New South Wales um, were the first to come out and say that they would um, state-based mandate access to sanitary items on all hospitals, then Queensland, and now Victoria will be mandating access to sanitary items in 711 locations throughout Victoria. I remember two years ago working with um, their department on accessing um, access for sanitary items in hospitals. They care, it just takes a long time. Yeah. So, you know, I had a meeting with the uh, um, South Australia health minister a couple of weeks ago. And so it's just going back to every single state and saying, tell me what you're doing now. How are you going to roll this out? And what does that look like? Because, sure as shit, share the dignity shouldn't be paying for that. <laughs> to, to be clear, we have. Um, I think it's twelve vending machines in hospitals in Australia, and they are the most used machines Australia sees. We've paid nearly half a million dollars in access to sanitary items in state-based hospitals in Australia. Yeah. That's you and I donating our money to yeah. make sure that that happens. We've done out. We've given them the data. We've given them all of that um, evidence that this is not okay, and that. Ultimately, how did this even get by for so long?
0: I actually read on your website that they get given bedpans and I was like, are you kidding me? What are they meant to do? Just like squat over a friggin' bedpan? It's
1: absolutely barbaric. It's actually incredible to think that there is so much hospital funding and that's mm-hmm. the one thing they can't pay for. Anyway, let's fix it.
2: At the end yeah. of the day, yeah. on our website, you will see a letter to your local minister, to your health minister, to the. There is a letter for everything there. It is about, that's what advocacy is to me. Advocacy yeah. is giving the tools to everyday people to make
1: the change. One of my favourite um, parts of your organisation is Dress for Dignity. So, can you talk a little bit about that and why you started it? Oh, it's so fancy. I love
2: Dress for Dignity. (laughs) Um, Dress for Dignity came about during COVID um, and all of the secondhand shops were closed. We were all staying safe at home. I had alphabetized my kitchen cupboard, my library, I had done everything. I went to my cupboard and thought, oh my God, girlfriend, you have way too many clothes, too many dresses, actually. Um, and dresses that I'd kept for a long time. Now, I'm 52. I've probably still got dresses when I was 35. And my body shape has completely changed. It doesn't matter whether I fluctuate 20 kilos either side of that dress. I'm still keeping hold of it. I don't know why. And I thought, how cool would it be if I could donate that dress to Share the Dignity, but I wanted a f- platform where it went up on a site and then you could relove that dress because we're talking mm. about dresses that have a little bit like the handbags. It's very similar to it's in the bag, right? You finish loving that handbag, you're going to pass it on to somebody else. Somebody else gets to love that dress. It's in good nick. Um, And then you've got space out of your cupboard and somebody else gets to love the dress. But my other part to that was making sure that women who've ended up in domestic violence services also get a choice. They don't get a lot of choices, right? So Mm. if they wanted to buy it, they'd be able to go into our site and go, right, looking for anything in a size 12 and i love the color blue so then all of the blue mm. size 12 dresses would come up and then they get to choice so we give them dignity dollars and they then get to choose that so you don't know whether the dress that's being sold will end up with me or mm. the next door neighbor or somebody in a refuge so mm. for me it was it was about Clearing your cupboard out from something that you don't use anyway. You also get a tax receipt for the dress that you've donated that you weren't wearing anyway, which is never, it doesn't happen if you do that in any other shape, form, or fashion. And the newest thing that we've done with Dress for Dignity is that you can actually keep up to 80% of the profit, uh, the proceeds of your sale. So, should you sell a dress for $100,
1: you can keep $80 and $20 can go through to share the dignity if you want. That's brilliant. But I also just love the idea that um, it gives women in circumstances that might have to be going out looking for jobs or, you know, it mm. it creates this whole pathway. They might not have had the clothing to be able to do that and it creates this pathway to give them confidence to go off and to be able to do something that is going to be life-changing. And I think that's the part yeah. of the organization I just love.
2: I think it's, I think it's just that other simple way to be able to make a difference, right? And none of this means that you need to give the dollars that you earn when we're all doing it tough. We're asking you to give a bag that you've already loved. And really it's in the bag started from me cleaning out my bathroom cupboard. Dress for Dignity started from cleaning out my cupboard. It's nothing that you don't already have that somebody else could love. And, And, you know, we want, more men donating as well i'd love to see more men putting together a bag Mm. putting together what are the things that they think that their mother or their wife or their daughter or their niece or you know would want should they be in this situation
0: so what does the future of share the dignity look like
2: yeah i mean i would love to see a future of share the dignity where we've advocated so hard for the governments to be taking on board period poverty uh well sorry access to sanitary items right Mm. so if they provided access to sanitary items it would be one less thing that we would need to do we would there will never be a government that takes on it's in the bag and gives the very basic of essentials so we would continue more of that work um so i'd like to say we'd become redundant but that work i don't think would ever Mm. dissipate right um so our advocacy work must remain in removing that shame and stigma making sure that People are educated both at school, in schools, in workplaces. How do we, how do we do better and be better? Well,
1: thank you so much. We've absolutely loved this chat with you. Um, your passion comes through, but also the work that you're doing at such a grassroots level is really game changing for so many lives. We will link all your information below. Definitely for Dress the Dignity, we'll put all the links down there, and of course for Share the Dignity so that people can get involved and um, make sure that they get involved around that November drive and around the next August drive as well. So thank you so much.
0: To this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander
2: peoples.